This morning, we're going to be in the book of Ephesians in chapter 4. Over the last few months, we've been studying the book of Philippians, and we said that the major theme of Philippians was progress, the advancement of the gospel, both internally transforming us from in and externally going out into the world. Austin led us through the conclusion of the book last week, and he highlighted God's provisions that fuel our progress, namely Christ and the church. This morning, we're going to take a deeper dive into both of these provisions as they are inseparable. To be in Christ is to be in his church. So let me ask you, why are you here today? Are you here as a consumer? Or are you here as a part of the body of Christ to serve? Are you here to grow? To become more like Jesus? To help others become more like Jesus? If so, how do you think we go about doing that? Is it up to us, our spiritual disciplines, a list of do's and don'ts? Do we live like our growth is up to us? What role does the church play in our growth? A primary or secondary role? Today, I want us to see the beautiful calling of being a part of the body of Christ and God's wise design and how all believers, one body, partake in the growth of the whole church. But we need to define the word church. When we say that, we might have very different definitions. What comes to mind? Is it a building, Sunday morning? Perhaps we think of denominations or pastors. But we need scripture to define what the church is. And according to scripture, the church is the assembly of believers, the gathering of believers. The book of Ephesians, the church is a major theme. And one of the ways Paul describes the church is the body of Christ, where Christ is the head and we are his body. The church is a living organism. There's one true church, the church of Christ, made up of all believers every time, of all time, everywhere. Yet there's visible expressions of this church in local churches. Riverstone is a local church. The book of Ephesians was written to a local church. The book of Philippians was written to a local church. So as we go through the text this morning, we have to have that definition of the church in mind, a gathering of believers, the body of Christ, manifested in local churches. The ushers can come forward. Uh, If you do not have a Bible, we ask that you Uh, Raise your hand. I don't think we actually have ushers. (laughs) Oh, they already came? All right. Sorry about that. We're going to be in Ephesians 4, 1 to 16. Ephesians 4, 1 to 16. Therefore, I, a prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, 
just as you were called to one, in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. God's word to us this morning. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your word. Jesus told us that your word is truth and that your word sanctifies us. Father, your spirit has made us one body. This morning we gather as one body, one church, to worship you and to become more like you. So as we read this text this morning and work through it as one body, may your spirit work its effect in us, transforming us, growing us, making all of us more like Jesus. We need your help, Father. In his name we pray, amen. The main idea of our text this morning is that our goal as a church is maturity, which happens as we all serve in gospel ministry. Our goal as a church is maturity, which happens as we all serve in gospel ministry. And we're going to work through the text in the following way. First, we're going to see the call. Paul is calling them to preserve the unity. Then we're going to see the design of the church, how God has designed the church to operate, to pursue this calling. And then we're going to end looking at the goal of the church. Why are we all here? What's it all about? So let's start with the call to unity. Paul begins the text by saying, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. If you've noticed, this is very similar to Philippians 1.27, which we said was the thesis of the book of Philippians, where he says, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you, that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Paul is the author of both letters, and both letters are written to local churches. However, in Ephesians, the context is slightly different. While there, Paul was calling them to 
unity over the advancement of the gospel, here he's calling them to preserve the unity of the Spirit. Verse 3, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit. What does that mean, to preserve the unity of the Spirit? What I think he means by that is preserving the unity of the church, the unity of the body that the Spirit has brought them into. Earlier in Ephesians, Paul makes the point that because of the gospel, Jews and Gentiles are now one. We read that in 1 Corinthians 12 this morning. Jesus has broken down that wall that separated man. He not only brought peace with man and God, but he brought peace between man. This is big. Jews had no dealings with Gentiles. They were unclean. But now because of Christ, they're one. We read it this morning in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, where he says, for just as the body is one and yet has many parts, and all the parts of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. So the call is to preserve the unity of the church, what Christ has accomplished and what the spirit has applied to them. Here in this room, the spirit has made us one. We are one church. And we're being called to preserve the unity of the church. Preserving unity is not holding hands and getting along through compromising on sin or the gospel or doctrinal issues. Preserving the unity is preserving what Christ has purchased for us. We saw something like this in 1 Corinthians when we went through that book not too long ago. There was an issue over whether they should eat meat or not. And Paul called them to make certain sacrifices on what to do and how to handle the situation to preserve the unity. But when it came to sexual immorality in the church, he dealt with it. So we're called to preserve the unity. This is one reason why we so highly value church membership here. Because when we believed in Christ, we became a part of his body. We were called out of the world into the church. And church membership is one way we commit ourselves to a local body of believers, committed to them and them committed to us. I would encourage you, if you're here and you're a believer and you're not a member, to highly consider this call, that you are already in the body of Christ, but to commit yourself to this local body. There's membership classes starting in October, which you can register for. So the call is to preserve the unity of the Spirit, but how do we do that? What does that look like? Notice what Paul says, to walk with humility, gentleness, patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. We saw humility in Philippians as well. Christ displayed ultimate humility and that though he was God, he became man. He did not grasp, hold on to, but he let go to become a man and die for sinners. We said that unity comes through humility. But we also need gentleness and patience with each other. We said that the church is a body of believers Yet sin still remains. 
this makes things challenging, to say the least. So we need these qualities, these characteristics, these fruits of the Spirit, if we're to preserve what Christ has brought us into. How do you handle the brother or sister that you may not click with, who has a different personality than you? Are we gentle and patient with each other? Do we show tolerance in our weaknesses and faults? Or are we quick to judge each other, wanting others to be more like us instead of like Jesus? Marriage is a wonderful picture of this. A man and a woman come together, two sinners, and in marriage they become one, one flesh. They come from different backgrounds, different families. They might have differences of opinions. How do we manage our money? How do we raise our kids? How do we discipline our kids? Do we spank? Do we not spank? These are, these are real questions that we ask. What happens when you disagree with your spouse? We're called to unity. And we cannot have unity if we are not humble and gentle and patient and showing tolerance with each other. As we serve in ministry at church together, we should expect conflict at times. We should expect disagreements, differences of opinions, but we are called to walk with humility, gentleness, patience, being diligent to preserve the body of Christ, his body. To do this, we need to see each other through gospel lenses. Like Paul, who said, I no longer see you according to the flesh, but I see you in Christ. We need to see each other in Christ, brothers and sisters, purchased and brought into one family. What's the basis for the call? What reason, what grounds does Paul have to call them to live like this? In verses 4 to 6, we see the oneness throughout the whole of the Christian faith. He says there's one body of Christ. There is one church. He says there's one spirit, one spirit who has brought us into this body, Christ's body. We all have the same spirit who fills us, gifts us, helps us, and gives us access to God. We share the same hope, one hope eternal life with Christ. There is one Lord, the Lord Jesus, before whom every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. He is our head. We are his body. There is one faith. There is one gospel. There are not different faiths. You have yours and I have mine. The world hates that and it divides the world. One faith unifies the world. One gospel unifies the world. There's one baptism. There is one sign given to the church that visibly expresses our union with Christ and our membership in his body. If you're here and you know Christ and you have not been baptized, Please walk in obedience to this command and show that you are his and that you're a part of his body. And finally, there is one God 
that we call upon as our Father. So the grounds to preserve the unity of the church is oneness throughout all of the Christian faith, oneness throughout God. There's one God, Father, Son, and Spirit. So we have the call. What's God's design to preserve the unity? How has God designed the church to work? We see in verse 7 that he gave gifts, gifts to all believers. Everyone here has a gift. We, we read this in 1 Corinthians 12 this morning. It's in Romans 12 as well. We all have gifts that serve the purpose of serving the whole body. Our gifts are not for us to make us look good. They're for others to serve. But we move down to verse 11 and we read that he gave specific gifts to the church. Notice he gave, that's Christ gave, some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. We're not going to go into detail this morning over the different roles and gifts, but we're going to highlight the one common theme of all these gifts. If you notice closely, they all involve speaking but they don't speak what they want. They speak God's word, namely the gospel. Evangelists proclaim Christ. Apostles were sent to proclaim Christ and build the church. Prophets spoke God's word. Pastors and teachers proclaim Christ. So these, these leaders, these gifts were given to the church. Why? We read in verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to building up the body of Christ. So these leaders, these gifts are given to equip all believers, not some, not the ones who just want to, given to equip all believers, all the saints. We see this in verse 16 where he talks about all the individual parts working together. Building up the body of Christ, serving in ministry is the work of everybody. This is God's design. To neglect it or reject it is to reject God's wise design of how he created the body of Christ to work, to keep us as one. This is one reason why we come Sunday after Sunday to hear God's word and worship, to be equipped. Are you here to be equipped this morning? Yes, we come to be comforted at times. We come to hear, we come to receive, but we also come to be equipped so we can go out and serve. What is the work of service? What does it look like? Well, if we move down to verse 15, he says, but speaking the truth in love. Notice the connection between 15 and verse 12. So the work of service is the building up of the body of Christ. And verse 15 defines what that work is. Speaking the truth in love, we grow up. And what I think Paul means by that is speaking gospel truth. Speaking gospel truth in love. You might say, where am I getting that? Well, Paul uses that phrase throughout his epistles. But in Ephesians 1.13, he says the following, In him, 
you also, after listening to the message of truth, what's the message of truth? The gospel of your salvation. The word of truth, speaking the truth, is speaking the gospel truth in love. So we are equipped by leaders to speak gospel truth to each other. But notice it has to be done in love. If we speak gospel truth without love, it does not build up. We read about that in 1 Corinthians 13 and 14. We're to be building each other up, using our gifts to build up the body. And we do it in love. And if we do it without love, it's nothing, meaningless. But what does it look like to speak gospel truth in love? Does that mean every conversation we have, we just have to lay out the facts of the gospel to somebody? No, I don't think so. But what it is, is learning to bring the person and work of Christ to bear on somebody's life in their particular circumstances, situations, contexts. Here's one example from Scripture, and then we'll talk about a few examples we, we all face every day. I've already noted that we went through 1 Corinthians not too long ago. And if you remember, there were some major problems in the church. Division over leaders, sexual immorality, defilement of the Lord's Supper, and a lack of love for each other. You could say this, is a, this was a church that was not preserving the unity of the Spirit, not preserving what Christ purchased for them, brought them into. But notice how Paul opens the letter. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. And even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's speaking gospel truth and love. That's walking with humility, gentleness, patience, and tolerance with a church plagued by many problems. If you're here looking for a perfect church, you're in the wrong building. But we learn how to get along. We learn how to preserve the unity of the Spirit. And Paul does not overlook the problems. We know that. He addresses them throughout the book. But he starts with speaking gospel truth to them. Here's some other examples. Perhaps you or someone you know struggling with anxiety over a variety of issues, health, life, and we look for peace in the midst of anxiety. How does the gospel meet that need? Well, we remind each other that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He came to bring peace. He told the disciples that in the world you will have tribulation, but in me you will have peace. So we remind each other that Jesus is our peace. And because of Christ, we have peace with God who we now call our Father, who knows all of our needs before we even ask. We have a lot of young families in here. Parenting's difficult. Sometimes our kids drive us crazy. Last time I spoke, I think I, I, I might have mentioned that my wife and I are potty training our oldest. And it has been 
difficult, angering at times. Brant, the gospel can't possibly meet that need. Yes, it can. When, I, when we're feeling angry at our kids, frustrated, exhausted, we remind each other that Jesus is patient with us, that he loves us so we can be patient with each other, with our kids. Perhaps there's guilt, guilt over sin. We remind each other of 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What about that besetting sin that so easily entangles you, leaving you feeling tired, weary, like you want to give up? We remind each other, brother and sister, Christ died for you. That sin has no dominion over you. It does not define you. Perhaps you feel lost, stuck, depressed, not knowing where to go. We remind each other, God keeps us. He keeps his children. There's a book out there uh, called Gospel Fluency. The title gives it away. It teaches us how to speak the gospel to each other. I highly recommend it with one caveat. Books are great. We can learn much from books. But God has given our church leaders to equip us to do this. We need to work to learn to rely on our leaders to equip all of us to go and do this, to speak gospel truth to each other. This is God's wise design. And this is happening. I know it. Not too long ago, my wife and I were, were sitting on the porch and just reminiscing about our time here at Riverstone. We've been here for almost six years and just how much we've grown in our knowledge of the gospel, but not just intellectually, but how we apply it to our lives, what it means for us every single day. This is happening here. We should praise God for that. And it's important to note we can't be effective in speaking gospel truth and love if we don't know how to listen. We can't be quick to speak and slow to listen. We have to be slow to speak and quick to listen. You might be thinking, why speaking gospel truth? Is that not repetitive, boring? There's got to be something better. No, there is no message like the gospel. The same gospel that justifies us, that makes us right with God, is the same gospel that sanctifies us, makes us like Jesus. We're told that the gospel is God's power for salvation, past, present, and future. The gospel is what keeps us going. Jesus is living water who sustains us all throughout our walk. There is no message like the gospel, and we should never tire of hearing that Jesus died for us and rose again, ever. So notice the flow of thought here. The leaders are gifted to speak gospel truth to all believers so that all believers are equipped to speak gospel truth to each other. And as we do this, we do it with humility, we do it with gentleness, patience, and love. 
And we're preserving the unity of the church. We're preserving what the Spirit has made us, one body of Christ. But what's the goal? What's the end goal of all of this? And if we're not unified on the goal, we can't be unified in living. If we serve in ministry here together at Riverstone as one body, and we're not here for the same purpose, we're not going to get along. We can't. We don't have the same goal, the same desire. So the goal, Paul tells us, is maturity. Growing up to become like Jesus. Notice what he says in verse 13. Starting in verse 12, he says, So we're equipped to do the work of service to building up of the body of Christ until. There is a time limit here. Until. Until what? We attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Notice the connection between verse 3 and 13. In verse 3, we're, we're called to be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit. And in verse 13, until we attain the unity of the faith. I like the way the ESV puts it. In verse 3, he uses the word maintain. Be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. So we're called to maintain the unity of the Spirit until we attain the unity of the faith. Paul's ultimately describing becoming like Jesus. Attaining the unity of the faith we see, growing in the knowledge of Jesus, is becoming a mature man. Becoming like Jesus himself. Verse 16 tells us the whole body growing up. In fact, in Romans 8, Paul tells us this is, this is why God has called us, predestined us, he says. We were predestined in order to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus. <clears throat> Reversing the effects of the fall. Adam was made in the image of God. He marred that image by sin. And Jesus came to redeem and restore that image. This is God's desire for his children, his church, that we would become like Jesus. There's no higher goal for us as a church. He also uses this phrase of the knowledge of the Son of God, not just an intellectual knowledge. We read in Philippians 3 the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul wanted to know him in his death and in his resurrection. And notice that this growth, this maturing, this becoming like Jesus is individual and corporate. Yes, all members are to grow for the sake of the whole body becoming like Jesus. Yes, God cares about your growth and he cares about my growth, but he cares about the whole body growing. Listen to what Michael Horton says in his book called Pilgrim Theology on his chapter on sanctification. He says, as Paul makes clear in this passage, referring to Ephesians 4, growing up in Christ is not something we can do by ourselves. Private spiritual disciplines are part of it, but they are far less grueling than living with other people in community every day and every week. 
Only through encountering others do I become aware of my weaknesses and offenses and my need to receive forgiveness daily, not only from God, but from my neighbors. Instead of being obsessed with our own measurable growth, we should be focused on Christ, our head, and on how we can build up his body. In the process of looking after others, others are looking after us as well, and Christ is looking after us all. That hit home to my heart, all too easily obsessed with my own measurable growth. Is that you? Do you want the body at Riverstone to become like Jesus? Is that your goal? Are you here to help others become like Christ, investing in them? If it is your goal, it will show. How does it affect your calendar, your time, who you spend your time with? Please do not hear me saying we, are, we should not be spending time with those who don't know Christ. That's not what I mean at all. But who influences your life? Even more, who are you influencing for Christ? How are you doing your part working properly to build up the body of Christ? This is why we so long for people to get connected to the body here. It's not for the sake of friendship alone, though that's important. We want people to be connected to the body of Christ. There's flyers in the back about how to get involved in groups. There's a seniors ministry, a joy potluck next Sunday. You can go in the back and register. These are opportunities to get connected into the body with the goal of helping us all reach maturity, becoming like Christ. We talked about this in Philippians as well. We said that humility cares about the progress of others. Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus cared about the progress of the Philippian church. They didn't care about their own progress only, but that of the whole church. And notice that this growing up into Christ, it's not just us becoming like him, it's us growing up into him. He is righteous. He's our righteousness. He's our holiness. And we grow up into him, what he has coming down on his body, us becoming more like our head, Jesus. And notice the, the positive negative aspect here. The positive aspect is us growing up. The negative is being like a child. Paul says in verse 14, we're no longer to be children Children are easily, easily moldable. We might say our children would believe anything we say, at least up to a certain age. We need to protect them. We need to speak gospel truth to them, to love them. We're not to be children. But adults are not immune to this either. A few years back, uh, our small group at the time took a trip to the beach. And I love the ocean. It, I'm not an adrenaline junkie, but I love the idea of big waves. I love body surfing. It's just fun. I think it's a lot of fun. This particular day, the ocean was pretty rough. And I thought I could handle it. And if I recall correctly, I'm walking out. My wife tells me to be careful. And I went in anyway. And it was the first time I ever felt myself lose control 
could barely feel my feet touching the sand, the current pushing me out, and I panicked, kind of life flashing before my eyes moment, like what am I going to do? Well, I'm here, so you know what happened. But I realized the strength of the ocean and my weakness as I was tossed about in the water. False doctrine, deceitful schemes come from an enemy who knows the scripture, who desires to have us. None of us, none of us are immune to believing lies and being tossed about. We can easily be led astray. We can easily lose sight of the goal. We can easily become, become brothers and sisters who don't want unity but want to divide over our preferences. Think about the lies that come into our mind on a daily basis that might lead us astray. Are you really forgiven? Am I really forgiven? Did I repent enough? I must, I must have to feel more sorry for God to forgive me. Or how about, it's all right, you'll be forgiven. It's just, it's just a small sin, no one will know. Or I have a right to be angry. He or she wronged me. I have a right to get back at them. This is real, and this happens every day. And if we're not growing up, we will be led astray. If we're not in God's wise design of being equipped by our leaders to preserve the unity and to become like Christ, we will be like children. And that's never good. No one wants to be led astray. But it's important to note that we do not pursue this goal of becoming like Jesus without hope. We're told in 1 John that we will see Jesus and we will become like him. He will present his bride, the church, spotless. We pursue this goal with a promise that it will happen. How's that for motivation? How's that to keep us going when we disagree, when we find ourselves in conflict? Our calling is high our goal is even higher to become like Christ and the design that God has given us is the church. All believers engaging in gospel ministry. By this point, you might be asking why we have not touched on verses 8 to 10. We're going to get there. All of this is possible because of Christ, because of the gospel. He's throughout the whole passage. He's the giver. He's the source. He's the goal. It's all about Jesus. And it's all possible because of his death and resurrection. Notice the words he uses. He descended into the lower parts of the earth. He became a man. He humbled himself to die on the cross for our sins but he did not stay dead. He ascended. He rose from the grave, conquering sin and death, where he now sits at the right hand of God, waiting to come back for his bride. 
He fills all things, rules over all things, and he gave gifts to men, his church, so that we might become like him, partaking in his work. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, see that he died for you, that he purchased you and wants you to come into his family to ultimately become like him. So I would implore you, if you don't know Christ, to come. Come to him today. Believe in him that he died for you and you will be saved. It's the gospel that is the basis for all of this. So where do we go from here? What does all this mean for us? How do we, how do we apply what we learn today? Well, let's start with this. Every believer here in Christ matters. Every believer here is gifted to the church, plays an integral part in growing the body of Christ here. There's no unimportant member. When we gather, we gather as a body. It's not about you alone or me alone. We're not here to be consumers, or as Pastor Tom often says, to do it the Burger King way, have it your way. We're here to be equipped to do the work of ministry. So come, come Sunday after Sunday. Get into small groups to be equipped to learn how to speak gospel truth to each other. Come to serve. When we come together, we're here to hear the word together as one body. We sing together to each other as one body. We take communion together as one body. If you're not involved, as we enter this, this fall season of ministry, look for ways to be involved. Join a small group. Find ways to meet one-on-one -on -one with someone. Look for opportunities to speak gospel truth and love to those you know. And this is happening. I know it. I see that this is happening here. Lastly, what in your life needs to change as a result of today's message? What is the Lord from his word calling you to do? How is your commitment here? Are you serving in the work of ministry? Are you being equipped, learning how to speak gospel truth? Are you here eager to preserve the unity of the Spirit, walking in love as one body? Or are you here dividing? God wants us here together to join in His work of becoming more like Christ our head, and we do that together. Let's pray. Father, first we want to praise you for your work that is so evident here at Riverstone. We know and we see that we as one body are working, speaking gospel truth, growing up into Christ. Yet we know there's, there's people here who are not doing that, Lord, and we ask that your word would work to, to in their hearts and minds to bring them closer to Christ, ultimately wanting them to uh, join in your beautiful work of making the body, the whole body, all the members like Jesus. 
So, Father, we ask that your word would work in us, continue to equip us through the gifts of leaders, help us to submit to your wise design in the church. And, Lord, keep our eyes on Jesus. Let us grow in the knowledge of him. Let us know that there's nothing, more, nothing better than knowing him, that knowing him surpasses the worth of everything else. And Lord, let us know that you've given us the spirit to do this, that we're not alone, but you're working. Father, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you this week.